so yeah, we're continuing our series today, Faith and Miracles. And today I get to talk about the gift of imagination, which is uh, a great opportunity for me because I feel like that's something I really connect with. And I think it's something that we all can connect with today. So I really think I have a good message and I have a cool uh, analogy for, or illustration. I'm thinking back when I was in school, one of my favorite type of school projects were the ones that the teacher would allow you to use your creativity and your imagination, kind of giving you the initial prompt and letting you fill in the blanks. I was taking a, a design capstone class for my uh, senior year, teaching me about product development. And my instructor gave us, uh, every student, a little Altoids 10, like this. I don't even know who eats Altoids anymore, but I only know two people. <laughs> Uncle Henry and my dad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Altoids, uh, so basically he said, here, everybody get a 10 like this. It was empty. And he said, all I'm going to tell you is you can design whatever you want. Use your imagination. Use your creativity. The only rule is you have to use the 10. Very simple. Very simple. Only one rule. Use the 10. And then let your imagination go wild. So, you know, looking at this, like, just go ahead and think. What would you do? What would you create with this? It's already a, a container for mints, so you can't do that one. That one's already taken. You could put other things, you know. People build all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, radios. Uh, flashlights, solar-powered batteries, computer mouses, the list goes on. Um, cameras and um, MP3 players, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I thought, man, what am I going to make? What am I going to do with this? And so I had the crazy idea of building a bluegrass guitar. That was my initial idea. And so I, I pursued that. Uh, I came up with this ridiculous, horrendous thing. This is literally what I made. This was like seven years ago, okay? I'm not even saying I'm proud of this. I'm just showing you. It's a little embarrassing. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it works. I butchered an old guitar, and I shoved all the electronics in here. I tried to, like, make the tin sound all tinny. It was horrible. It sounded absolutely terrible. <laughs> and when I went to present it for the class, it only confirmed my doubts about it because it was, like, just the most awful-sounding thing. But the point of the assignment, I believe, was to teach us about the constraints in design. And a lot of times with design, you have to figure out the constraints because those are the things that you can't change. And they don't necessarily limit the design. They just they provide you the, the things that you can't change. Because there's a lot of things you can't change when you're designing. Let's say, you're instance, for instance, you're designing a bridge. You have to know how far the bridge needs to go, you know, that's a constraint. How many cars need to cross the bridge? These are constraints. And once you know the constraints, then you can truly be creative. You can really explore the options that are available to you. And in this instance, the constraint was the 10. Very simple. And, you know, it's hard to know if you're solving a problem or a goal without defining those constraints. But, you know, the truth is, we are all familiar with the most popular constraints, time, Money, resources, those ones, they kind of, sometimes they can crush your creativity, overwhelming you. I often find myself sad because I don't have the time I want to explore my creativity. I know I was supposed to be a famous musician. I was supposed to be a famous artist, uh, a really influential product development engineer. But, you know, you don't have the time. It takes time to, to explore those things. And time is probably one of the most 
constraining things of all. But truth, truthfully, I don't know if it is necessarily the most. I think possibly the most is fear. I think fear limits our creativity and imagination more than anything else. Fear of many things. Namely, one would be fear of other people's opinions. I know that I struggle with that. Even with this project, I was really embarrassed about it. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is so weird looking. Everyone else made like simple, but like complex things, and I like built this atrocity of an instrument. I was like, man, and I remember presenting it, and I remember feeling really embarrassed, but I think the thing that I remember most was the look on my professor's face because he was standing behind the room, and he was so proud. I could see it in his face. And even after the class, he pulled me aside, can I take a picture of you with your, with your uh, you know, instrument? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, and it kind of occurred to me in a moment, and there's an analogy here, but I'll just let you draw the conclusion. The point is uh, that students weren't the one grading my project. The teacher was. I don't need to worry about what the other students think as long as I made the teacher proud. But that's a, an aside. What I really want to talk about today is how do we let go of this fear, this fear of man, this fear of people? Because that, I believe, is one of the most constraining things to our creativity and our imagination. Our, the gift of imagination really is the most profound thing that we have been given by God. In fact, I think back to the very beginning of it all, in Genesis 2, you look at what God had intended from the very, very beginning. He creates this, he creates all of this, this beautiful planet, this wonderful universe, and he gives it to man, and he says, here, you rule it. And he says in Genesis 28, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful, Genesis 2, 28, sorry, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. So we're given this freedom to subdue and to rule. Let your imaginations go wild, Adam and Eve. I've created this wonderful place for you. It's all yours. You just get to do with it whatever you want. What an awesome beginning. But yet there was one constraint to the whole thing. God said, I just have just one thing. And if you look at uh, Genesis 3.16, I believe, oh no, 128 and then 2.16, I'm so sorry. 2.16, God says, God commanded the man, you can do anything you want. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's this one constraint, just this one thing. And you know, and I, I, you know, there's a lot of kind of theories on this, but you know, personally, I take this as God telling man simply that we are not to trust our own opinions for what is right and wrong. Don't eat of the tree for yourself but rather trust me to define what is good and evil. Have a relationship with me and I will help you define what is good and evil and what holiness really looks like. And so God wanted to have a relationship with us, to walk with us, to speak with us, to help us wrestle through the rights and the wrongs and the do's and the don'ts. 
It's deeper than a list of rules, but you know what? Adam and Eve fell short of this, unfortunately. They did not meet the one requirement. And they instead decided to make a list of their own, a bunch of rules to please God. Now, God, you know, I know you know everything. I know that you created it all, but I'd rather define it for myself. I'd rather figure it out on my own. And because of this, we begin to get choked out by this religious fog. Our creativity becomes crushed and our imagination constrained. Because imagine if I were to give you a creative uh, problem, you know, hey, I want you to design this thing, but then I just begin to overload you with rule after rule. But it has to be this big, you, oh, and you have to use this pencil, and actually, could you make it this color and use this font and do it with this amount of time and this amount of money and this, this, that, this, don't do this, that. Before you know it, your creativity is just almost nothing. It's constrained, it's constricted. You find yourself always trying to figure out, okay, what can I do, what can I do? You don't feel free to be creative and imagine. That's what begins to happen to mankind. Choked out, constrained, crushed. Our creativity is not free anymore. And, and then we live in this fear. Am I doing the right thing? I'm trying to please God. But who can show us the example? Who could possibly show us? If Adam and Eve couldn't do it, then who? And I think it's obvious. It's Jesus. Jesus shows up, and he shows us what the intention was that God had from the very beginning. Jesus comes to earth and demonstrates what it really means to be free and to be creative and use his imagination. And honestly, guys, it's, it's challenging because what Jesus did oftentimes was looked at as sometimes disrespectful, sometimes illegal. Uh, he discredited himself in the eyes of others. He didn't appear to care about what other people's thought. Rather, he seemed to care more so about doing truly what was right. And that didn't look right to us. So I picked out, I just picked out three examples, three stories, three accounts, where I think there's a, there's a, we can pick and see what Jesus does. You can honestly pick any story in the gospel. I, I think they all will illustrate this freedom. And I got a lot of this from a, a great book, and he calls it, it's a, a beautiful outlaw is the name of the book, and he calls this the scandalous freedom of Jesus. The scandalous freedom of Jesus. He's this beautiful outlaw. And he demonstrates this freedom in such a way that it's, it's, it almost looks scandalous to us. So I want to look at a, um, the first examples in Matthew 8. Jesus just preaches one of the most profound sermons of his entire ministry career. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. At that time, it was just a sermon on a mountain. It wasn't, you know, but it was profound. It's three chapters, pages of just him laying out what it means to be pleasing in the eyes of God, flipping everything upside down, challenging what everyone thought of as what was the right thing to do. And so he preaches this really great sermon. And then we jump in at um, Matthew 8, um, verse 1. So he came down from the mountain. Great crowds were following him. And behold, and suddenly a leper approaches him. Lord, if you will, you will make me clean. 
Jesus stretches out his hand and touched him and saying, I will it be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And you know, I, I like to visualize this. And I think sometimes we disconnect with this leper, this word leper. I highly doubt that many of us have ever even met a leper. And that word kind of really, like when you hear it, you kind of just think like, oh, poor guy. But guys, it was more than that. It was more than poor guy. It was horrible. Like, think of uh, the worst kind of AIDS. You know, I mean, and this guy, imagine he is incredibly skinny. You know, his hair is falling out, clothed in rags, ulcers and sores all over his body, body parts missing. So we're thinking that, picturing that. Not only that, but in that time of day, lepers were outcasts of society. It was ruled a law that they had to yell, unclean, unclean, whenever they walked through the village so that they wouldn't become close to any others within a stone's throw. If you were to even be within a stone's throw of these people, you could be at risk of being defiled, risking your credibility. And they were literally ruled to have to live outside of the village, isolated and alone had to be clothed in rags. They weren't allowed to wear robes. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. And so this, Jesus is coming down. I, I picture him surrounded by his disciples, you know, kind of like his posse. And here comes this leper, like, I found him. And kind of sneaks out, Jesus. And everyone, I feel like everyone's on guard. Whoa, 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 back up, back up. Jesus, get back, get behind me. Peter's like getting his sword out. I'm gonna cut him, Jesus. I won't let you get defiled. And Jesus, I just picture him kind of pushing Peter aside like, Peter, you don't understand. And walks gently to this leper. This leper kneels before Jesus. God, if you will it. And his heart is full of compassion. Moved with compassion, Jesus reaches out and touches him and heals him. Defiling himself. And, dang, that's a, that's a tough one to preach on. Honestly, <laughs> that kind of gets me a little choked up. But, wow, sorry. <laughs> this is scandalous freedom. And, you know, he proceeds to tell the leper, like, go and present yourself before Moses. Present an offering. Prove that you are clean. Don't tell anyone about this. You know why? Because Jesus knew that his fame would be the thing that brought him to the cross. And he thought, you know what? It's not my time yet. Don't, don't tell anyone about this because as soon as I get famous, they're going to kill me. So he tells him, keep it quiet. Yeah. So here's this, this, this freedom, right? Jesus isn't constrained by what other people think. He's not worried. You know, Peter and his disciples were confused. Jesus, you're not supposed to touch him. He didn't have to touch him. There's many, many accounts of Jesus healing people without touching them, even in counties far away. Men approach him, yeah, he's healed. Didn't even have to see him or hear, touch him. Healed. He makes an intention to reach out and touch him. He's proving something. This is why I came. He's doing that on purpose, I believe. So there's that first example. There's another example 
This one's a, again, you could pick any of them. Here's another one. I love this one. This one's great. This one's almost funny, actually. <laughs> so it's in uh, Matthew 15, verse 7. Again, here's this Pharisees. You see this kind of played out over and over through the Gospels. The Pharisees coming up and challenging Jesus, trying to catch him, trying to discredit him. And I think after, this is Matthew 15, so this is kind of along his journey. They've already been like shut down many times, kind of embarrassed by Jesus, quite, quite honestly. But yet here they are again, trying to challenge him again. And they say to him, Oh, I kind of cut off a little bit, but you look in uh, Matthew 15, they say, hey, Jesus, how come your disciples don't follow the customs of the day? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why do they do that? You know, they're defiling themselves. They're, they're unclean. They, they need to follow the traditions, follow the rules. Follow the rules. They want to be pleasing to God, just like Thomas said. Cleanliness is close to godliness? <laughs> Wait, that's not even in scripture. I'm not saying you shouldn't wash your hands, okay? Like, this is actually a great example because the truth is you should wash your hands. Nobody's telling you not to wash your hands. But that's not what makes you pleasing to God. And so Jesus kind of harshly accuses them. You guys are hypocrites in verse 7. You know, Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied, and he quotes Isaiah. These people, they honor me with their lips, but in their hearts, they're far from me. They worship me in vain with their teachings that are merely human rules. You're trying to please God with rules that you made up. Like, how exhausting, for one. Pointless. And crushing you, crushing your creativity. Jesus calls the crowd and he says to him, listen, what goes into your mouth does not defile you, but what comes out of your mouth, that is what defiles you. The disciples came and said, you know the Pharisees were pretty offended by you when, you, when they heard this. He says, he gives them a parable. Every plant that my Father, Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Leave them, they are blind guides. If blind guides, if the blind lead the blind, then both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, can you explain that to us? In verse 16, he says, are you still not getting it? Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into your stomach and comes out the body? But the things that come out of your mouth from the heart, these are what defile you. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts such as murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that's not going to defile you. And you can hear this frustration. You know, he's calling them blind guides. Oh. And I think an important thing to remember when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at perfect love. He loved the Pharisees, and that's why it had to be this way. That's why he had to speak this way, because he's trying to cut through this fog, this religiosity. He loved them as much as he loved anyone. But he cared so much to deliver them from this confusion. And this is a, this is a tough thing to preach on and to look at. You know, you, you hear this, this freedom because it's like, oh, others might think, you know, on one side people think, yeah, you're right, we don't need rules. And they, honestly, guys, they, they give the mid, middle finger to the world. They give the middle finger to the church. Do whatever they want. They're going to abuse it and misuse it. 
And that's just the way it's going to be. Some people are going to hear that. On the other hand, you have people who hear this and they think, no way, absolutely not. Got to follow the rules out of fear. No, I got to do the right thing because I don't want to get judged. I don't want to get looked at like the wrong way. Both of those are wrong. Jesus is hinting at something deeper. It's not, yes, you should wash your hands. Yes, (laughs) you should wash your hands. But there's something more, don't you see? And I kind of was asking God for an analogy because I'm like, what is this? It's like you're in a sinking boat and you're shoveling water out of the boat. Well, there's a hole, right? There's a hole. You gotta patch it first. If you don't patch the boat, you're gonna sink. Shoveling the water is only temporary. Jesus is saying there's something deeper. It's it's in your heart. What your heart is where it begins. That's where the sin originates. Out of your mouth come these horrible things from your heart. Your heart is corrupt. Don't you see that, you Pharisees? You follow every rule. You can follow every rule, and you're still corrupt because your heart is corrupt. Wash your hands. Make the sacrifice. Do all the rules. You're still corrupt. You hypocrites. Okay, so we're kind of doomed here, right? This, if this was the end of the story, we're kind of, it's not good for us. The hole in the boat, well, great. Jesus, that's awesome. Okay, I can't follow the rules. That's not going to get me anywhere. I'm corrupt at the core. My heart is literally corrupt. So Jesus, now what? Help me. I want to be changed. I want to be free. I want to be holy. And again, back to the beginning. God says, trust me instead. Trust me instead. Stop trusting your own instincts. Let me have a relationship with you. Let me teach you what holiness is. You know, I love when we get to see Jesus for who he truly is because you don't have to muster up some fake love for him. When you get to see Jesus, you can't help but be overcome and intrigued and in love because this is different. This is scandalous freedom. This is something we're not used to and we cling to it because Jesus is that great. He'd captivate your heart. So I want to look at one more in closing. You know, we're, we're given this gift of imagination. This is a gift. We're given this creativity. You know, and along with this creativity, you know, one of the other things is you have to be given the authority. Because, you know, as a kid, if you're trying to draw on the walls, your parents, no, you can't do that. Stop. You don't have the authority to draw on the walls. That's not your wall to draw on. For some reason, my parents let me do that. I don't know why. Maybe they were just kind of letting me be creative. I painted all over my walls. That was fun. They let me explore my creativity. You have to be given that authority, that opportunity, because if you don't, then how can you? So I want to look at one more example here. Uh, It's in uh, Luke 7. And so we see Jesus invited. uh, Yet again, he gets invited to dinner at one of the Pharisees' houses, and um, he's approached by a woman who is described as being sinful. Um, Maybe she had a reputation of being sinful. Maybe everybody had seen that she was lacking conviction. Yet, you kind of see a pretty powerful 
experience here. So in uh, Luke 7, verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. He went into the house and reclined at the table. A woman who, in that town who had lived there, a, a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him, uh, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume all over them. So, this is another scandalous scene. This woman is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. This sinful woman. And guess what? You know, obviously, this woman doesn't care what the nice people think about her anymore. She's past it. She's past that. Broken. Doesn't care about anything else except Jesus. And Jesus, not being a respecter of persons himself, allows this to take place. Not caring about what anybody else thinks. And then, you know, an interesting thing about this story that I love is, you know, this, this jar of perfume, not cheap. This woman potentially spent everything she owned on this. It is, I think it, some people have calculated it to be roughly around $50,000 of perfume, like a, a year's wage. She, she, she spent everything she had because nothing else mattered to her. And guys, can you think about it? Like imagine if you knew that Jesus was somewhere. What would you do? She found out, like I can imagine she found out, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming into my village. I'm gonna go get my most expensive thing. I need him, he's everything. And so we read on in verse 39. One of the Pharisees who had invited him, they saw this and he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman that she is, she's a sinner. Guys, how arrogant is this? How prideful and hippo, like what? It was a sinner that invited him. It's a sinner that's leading the church. Does he not see that? No, he doesn't. Because he's doing all the right things. He's doing all the rules. And he's judging Jesus for letting this woman even touch him. And Jesus, you know, this is, uh, Jesus, again, loves Simon. Simon is the Pharisee that invited him. He loves Simon. And he looks at Simon, and first, you know, I imagine, you know, this woman's washing his feet. He looks at Simon, and he addresses Simon first. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, teacher, tell me. Two people owed a money lender a certain Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt to be forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said to him. You've judged correctly. So he's correcting Simon, and I think Simon is sensitive to this. You know, Simon's invited Jesus over. He's curious. He wants to know. And, I mean, that's a pretty simple, like, I love it. Jesus is so perfect with his words, you know, just so perfect. That's exactly what Simon needed to hear. Gosh, because when you know you're forgiven a debt, how grateful are you? 
And I often say, well, kind of a new saying of mine, I guess I just kind of came out of my mouth a couple weeks ago, which is my love for Jesus is equally matched by my need for him. And I love Jesus a lot. I love him a lot. I think I love him more and more every day. Because every day I get up, I realize I need him even more. I thought I needed him yesterday. I need him even more today. (laughs) And I felt like Simon was hungry to hear that. So after he was done with Simon, and he turns his attention to the precious heart of the brave woman who had entered boldly and humbly and knelt before him, and he turns towards her and says, he's even speaking to Simon, he says, Simon, do you see this woman? You know, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. Sorry, this is in verse 44. Great, thank you. But she has wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured her perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. And whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then the other guest among them said, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus looks at the woman and says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is quite possibly one of the most beautiful stories I have ever read. It is such a clear picture of Christian holiness. Jesus is so free. He's so free from what people think, free from religion, free from the false obligations. And these people don't like it. They hate it, in fact. They hate it so much that they sought to kill him. Who is this that forgives sins? Who does he think he is? He's, he's not that allowed to be that free. He's not allowed to be, he doesn't have the authority to do that. But Jesus knew himself and he was perfect. He had, if anybody had the authority, it was Jesus. Guys, they didn't kill Jesus because he was boring. They killed him because he was too dynamic. He was too dangerous. He was too free. He was a threat to everything that they had built. He was demolishing the entire thing. He was too creative. He was too imaginative. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. This is a perfect example of what it looks like to be creative and, and free to use our imagination. Jesus was not constrained by the rules of man. He had a perfect relationship with the Father and that allowed him to demonstrate and do miracles and and to show people the love of God everywhere he went, free from the opinions of others. So in summary, we have also been given the power to be creative. And we have been given a renewed authority through the blood of Jesus. Our hearts are corrupt. And there's only one thing that could change that. There's only one thing that can patch the hole. 
and it's him. He's the only one that can do it. Nothing else can do it. Don't be deceived. Nothing else can do it. It's kind of ironic that when people hear the word Christian, they think of rules, when in fact, Christianity is the only thing that can deliver you from rules. How clever of the enemy to take the thing that it truly will deliver you and make it think like it's the problem. Christianity is the only way to be free from religion. Yet it is thought of to be the most religious. Why are people so threatened by Christianity when it is truly the only solution? Isn't that crazy? It's good. So we've been given a new authority. Because of Jesus, your hearts can be made new. And you can have a holiness like Jesus. You can walk with an authority like Jesus. And that would change everything. That would change everything. We can truly use this gift of imagination and creativity to do wonders and miracles and to love others scandalously the way Jesus did without regard to what people think but what God thinks instead. So are you willing to dare to imagine and face the finger pointing, the criticism, the obligations, and potentially worse? Are you willing to do that? Cool. All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that we get to see you for who you are. And because of that, we are captivated by your love like never before. I'm so thankful, Lord. I've been shown who you are, Jesus, and it has changed my life. Let us all just catch that today, Jesus. We love you. Amen.